Sixty-eight podcast presented by Men's Sports. I'm joined by Damien Seabold. Seabes, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. And Gavin Badger is on the phone, former NRL ref. Gavin, how are you, mate? I'm going good, fellas. How are you guys? Really good, thanks, mate. Now, there are a couple of thankless jobs out there. Parking inspector and NRL refs are probably in the same category. What inspired you to get into it? Firstly, I'm a little bit disappointed you put me in the same category as that. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there a rung below? <laughs> Uh, but but no, nah, what inspired me to referring so I played a bit of footy as a kid and played in some pretty good footy sides and um, got found out pretty quickly that it was my mates that were the good footballers and I was just hanging along um, and got cut from a rep side and was sort of knocking around the streets and that wasn't doing much and bumped into an old footy coach actually who sort of um, tried to convince me to, to referee and I won't say what I first said to him because I, I, I hated referees when I played. I was a little cheeky smart-ass. Um, but um, he actually got me to do it. It was, best, yeah, it was probably one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Mate, mate what age were you when you started to, to actually take I, it a little bit more serious? Oh, so I, I think I started referring around 17, 18. Like okay. I just left school and stuff like that. Um, I, I didn't really take it seriously until I was probably mid-20s. Um, it was something that I sort of just did. And I was still, you know, like I said, I was, as a young fellow, I was a bit loose and was still sort of partying on, on weekends and stuff. And, you know, and then... Yeah, you know, referee on a Sunday morning. Sometimes yeah. I'd be a little bit dusty and stuff. But then I got to a stage where people started to say that you got a bit of ability and you might be able to make something of this and sort of knuckle down and took it a bit more serious. Mate, well, that, that sort of segues into what my next question was going to be. At what point did you sort of sit back and think, you know what, this is more than just, you know, making a few extra bucks on a weekend or giving me a chance to still be involved in footy. At, at what point did you realise, hang on, I, I could actually make a career and get paid to do this full time? Yeah, this... this I get asked this a little bit. It probably sounds a bit conceited and stuff, but I pr- pretty much I knew pretty well when I started referring that it was something that I was okay at. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I think I had a you know a, a natural feel for for what I did there, so I, I pretty much knew that uh, I was okay. And yeah, then it was like like I said in those mid twenties, and it's the same it, same sort of progression as a player. So you, you you do your park footy stuff, and then yeah. you move into some your rep footy, and then into the grade, and then into the NRL. So I sort of got picked to sort of go and start training with that sort of next level, so that you know, representative level referee, so that's a bigger squad, and sort of trained at the same place with the, you know, oh, right back then it was in the Savoy Rugby League referees. So you're training with the first grade referees and stuff like that, so that's when I sort of think, you know what, um, probably time to have a crack at this. Yeah, great. Do you think the pathway to becoming an NRL ref is harder now than it was when you entered? Um, I don't know if it's harder, it's just different. Oh, it's not even that much different in New South Wales. Um, the Queensland system's a little bit different than ours. Um, the setup and stuff, um, neither is better or worse, they're just different systems. Um, but we, we virtually follow the same route as a player. You just do it a little bit later. So as a player, you go into junior reps, um, into those systems at 13, 14, um, but you've been playing footy since you were six years old. So as refereeing, you start refereeing now, referees start at 13. Yep. And then by that 18, 19, we start to get them into our systems if they've got some ability. And then you just follow that same progression. Generally, the general pathway is if you're good enough is, you know, 15 years from when you start refereeing to get to the NRL level. Yeah. Mate, it doesn't sound too dissimilar to what happens in Queensland. I mean, I do a little bit of coaching here and from time to time I've gone and, and done some work with uh, all the high-performance refs 
uh, I think is what they were calling it at the time. But yeah, yeah basically that, they identified the kids that, that went okay. You know, they were predominantly teenagers and they started to upskill them and put them in a, a better position to be able to referee higher level games and start to develop them that way. So yeah, I, I think it's great, man. I mean, you know, the perspective I come from is, well, I'm a coach, but I'm also a dad and, and my young bloke's about 15 years old now. He loves his footy, he plays footy. And um, he did a um, like a, a rep carnival a few years ago and they all had to do a referees course and he really yeah. liked it and realized that he could make a little bit of pocket money on a, on a Sunday morning. And, and so he still will ref on a Sunday morning in between playing his games and, and things like that. So, you know, it, it's really good to see, especially... Well, there's kids who realise, you know, pretty early that they're not cut out to, to play, but they love the game, so they want to be involved, and I, I think it's it's a great thing. Yeah, because that's exactly what it is, right? No one wakes up and says, oh, I'm going to be an official. What sport am I going to choose? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, some people probably do, but I, I dare say they're not the ones that make it at, the, uh, at yeah. a high level. But generally what it is is, yeah, I love the game. You know, yeah. I started playing rugby league when I was three years old. Um, so, it's, you know, it's been the only state, you know, constant in my whole life. Um so, and I just love rugby league. I'm a bit of a rugby league tragic, rugby league yeah. nerd. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it was. It, 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 when I look back on it now, it's probably a, you know a fair progression for me to to go down the route of refereeing because it gave me an opportunity to stay in the game, and you know, and you know, not only stay in the game, it's given me an opportunity to get some great, you know, some great opportunities yeah. off the back of that as well. Gavin, who do you regard as the best ref in the game at the moment? Uh, right now, um, uh, I. I I probably think Ash Klein is, um, and, and you know I put my hand up. Ash is a really good mate of mine as well. So, um, but I just think his temperament and the way he ha- handles himself. Um, he very rarely gets. Well, I've never seen Ash flustered on a footy field. Yeah. Um, he's got a you know, pretty good knowledge of the laws. He, you know, and I think I think he is the best. I think unfortunate for last week that he has those decisions, and um, you know, and that's the nature of the beast of what we do. You, you know, in the big games, if you have a couple of errors. You, you're probably not going to be there next week, and, that, and that's what's happened here. But yeah, I generally think Ash is uh, Ash is the best referee we've got. There's you, quite a few coming after him. Though. Can Can you take us behind the scenes of what would have happened this week with Ash? So I, I'm with you. I probably regard him as the best ref in the game as well. But had a bad game last week. Obviously, can you take us behind the scenes? What would have happened this week? Yeah. Well, the first thing would have been uh, the first thing is that at the NRL level, eventually we'll, you might see that decision on the big screen while the game's going. Yep. Have a bit of a sick feeling in your guts yep. when you see that. Yeah. Actually, not for the fact that anything else that you've, you've cost the team and you've, you know, you think of everyone else before you think of yourself, you know, when you think, oh, what have I done that, you know, if they, they lose off the back of one of my calls, that's, you know, you, you just feel terrible. Um, that's the first thing. And then it's just, okay, I've got to just get through the rest of this game and, you know, make sure that nothing else I do has any impact on, impact on this game. And, you know, completely just what anyone believes, you don't try and square it up. Because the last, the worst, only thing worse than making one bad error is making two bad errors. Yeah, compounding. So make sure you don't have another error in that game because if you want to have any chance to be there next week, you've got to make sure the rest of it's perfect. So that's the start of it. Then the second thing is get off the field after the game and then, you know, for the first probably half an hour, depending on the personality and stuff, some people can move on pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, it's just that breaking it down of how did I get that wrong? Like, especially when it's decisions like that. And that decision that we look at, the, the, talking about that main one last week, it looks quite obvious when we watch it on that super... They've got a really high-definition super slow-mo and Fox. Yep. So it looks quite obvious, but you watch that decision in, in normal speed, and yet it's still... You, we should get that one right, right? As, a, as an elite official, they're the decisions you should get right. But it's not as, you know, as, as 
horrendous as a lot of people want, want to believe. But it's still a supporters in the NRL level. So you break that down. How did I get it wrong? Um, then you go through the rest of the game. You sort of deal with that. Then you you wait until Monday night when you get your appointments. But I'm pretty sure, I'm, and I will speak to Ash about that, uh, those couple of days that he, he would pretty much know that he's probably not going to be there next week at this time of year. But there's still that slight hope that I've been refereeing well enough. I'm sitting you know, higher than everyone else, hopefully, that I might still get through. So you still have that little bit of belief. Then you generally get a phone call. You see the phone and it's the best boss and you know it's not good news generally. Yep. Um, on Monday before the appointments come out. Um, and then you sort of just go through the process there. But um, I've, I've been in that position on many times. I'm not missing out on grand finals because I was never that close, but I was making some pretty horrible calls and knowing that you're going to get dropped. And you know, it, it's, it's a horrible, horrible feeling. Do, do you think that that's right, though? Because you and I would imagine a lot of other people regard Ash as the best ref in the game, yet he's been dropped for a couple of human errors. Like, it, it's not... Um, it, it's just a it's just a reactionary call. It's not like he didn't know the rules or anything. Do you think yeah, yeah. that Do you think that it's it's right that he's been dropped over something that is just a human mistake? Oh well, you look at it. In a, you know, there's a lot of factors to it. You got to look at it subjectively as well, right? And I look at it. You look at it from a, a player's perspective, right? So, if last week Nathan Cleary was to come out and have a shocking game yep. and have the worst career, he's still going to play this week, right? Yeah. He's the best halfback in the game at the moment. You're not going to drop him because he has one bad game because you know what he will give you on most weeks. And look at the same as referees. You know what you're going to get from Ash most weeks, and it's going to be you know one of the best decisions in world sport week in, week out. The fact that he has one bad performance in a semi-final, then you've got to start to look at it. The other fact is, look at, okay, who else have you got and what form are they in? Uh, you know, is, it, is it close between Ash and, and, and your second best? Um, you know, Or is there a gap there? And, and factors like that. Then the other thing is, well, have you cost the team the game? Because generally in refereeing, if you make a decision that costs the team the game, um, you're more likely not to be there next week. Yeah, and that, that's so true. You mentioned before, sorry to interrupt, but you mentioned before about, um, you know, for example, Nathan Cleary. Well, yeah, he's arguably the best player in the comp and, and significantly better than everyone. You've got to look at his club side, Penrith. Well, as you said, he could have a shocker. But there's no one sniffing around anywhere near as good as him at Penrith, so he's in no doubt of being dropped. Whereas when we're talking about the best ten referees in the game, well, they're probably all within a whisker of each other. So yeah, it does make sense that you, you're constantly looking over your shoulder. And again, I suppose that's probably what separates the the great refs from you know mediocre or run of the mill refs is those guys who can identify they've made a decision during a game, but not let them let it cloud the rest of that game. So the ability to move on, and, and elite footballers can do that as well. They can make a mistake, yep, acknowledge it happened, but just move on and, and get on with it. Just on that badge, can I ask you, uh, obviously Ash made a bad call, right? And, you know, Roosters fans might go ahead and say um, that, that it cost them the game, okay? The, they might say that. Can I ask you, from your perspective, you don't have to name names, but has anyone... has has um, have you had a game where afterwards the fans have just gone berserk over yourself and have you been worried at any times or anything like that? Or on the other side, has anyone from a club like a coach or players gone at you after a game? And you don't have to mention names, but I'm just curious. <laughs> um, I, I, no, I was pretty lucky, I think. And I don't, I don't know if it's luck or good management or my character or the way I carried myself. Um, I never had too many major on-field issues. You know what I mean? Like I... I I never really had um, any of that. Um, 
even social media wise and that, like off the back, as a back end of my career, I didn't get a lot of, of that stuff. I, I made some terrible decisions. I made lots of them. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, there's, there's um, a few games where I made big calls that you know were turned out to be wrong in the back, you know, in the wash up of it all. But no, I never really had too much. You know what I mean? Like, like, like anything, right? The coaches are going to let off some steam in a in a press conference after the game and have a show of a couple of decisions and stuff. But you know what? And a lot, you know, never gets sort of mentioned that a lot of coaches will ring you up on the Monday and sort of say, you know what? Um, yeah, there was a couple of decisions in that, but you, you didn't, you know, you didn't cost us the game. We cost ourselves. You yeah. know what I mean? We, we've had every opportunity to win it. So behind the scenes, a lot of that happens as well when they yeah. they might lose it in and a press conference on a, you know, an, an emotional moment straight after the game, but will come out and, and sort of. Well, and other times with us, but, you know, they might give you calls, so, mate, we still think we had a couple of dodgy calls here, you know, can you go to for us? And uh, give us an understanding where you're coming from. That's right, mate, because, like, realistically, the coaches in a press conference straight after a game, it, it, it's either one or two things. It's just you, you, they're highly emotional, which the job that they're in, things get very emotional, or they're, they're trying to throw off, they're trying to deflect from a bad performance from the team or a couple of their star players might have had a, a shocker. So they're trying to deflect and, you know, put the attention elsewhere. So, you know, I think the majority of, of people do understand that that happens. Um, one of the questions I was going to ask quickly before we, we do move on in regards to, you know, getting dropped, I do remember in the past, and this is probably going back 80s, 90s, if a referee wasn't, you know, the main ref in the middle of the field, they'd quite often be the touch judge for, for that particular weekend. We don't see that anymore, do we? They're specialist touch judges, isn't there? No, 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 it still happens. It does still happen? Okay. Yeah, that happens every week. Yeah, so what happens is that's sort of your progression as well. So on the way up, yeah, it's almost like playing a player off the bench. So we use the touch line to put people into first grade. Okay. So I can get an understanding of the speed of the game and, and, and yeah, the players and, and, and the differences between, you know, Queensland Cup, New South Wales Cup and, the NRL. So, yeah, we, we, we do that regularly. So we have young um, officials run the touchline. We do have some specialist touch judges as well. Yeah. But, um, but know, for example, touch- Ash Klein's not going to go back yeah. and, and, and be on the sideline for the game. Tonight. No, no, no. no the, yeah. the top referees might. Yeah. So a Jerry Sutton or an Ash Klein or yeah. a Grant Atkins and stuff, they won't go back and run a touchline. They'll more likely be in the bunker. Yeah, um, yeah they don't go back. <laughs> no. Well, you mentioned it there, the bunker. What do you think of the bunker? Um, oh, look, it's a necessary evil in the age of technology, right? Yeah, um, I'm not biggest fan. I think we overuse it. Um, I, I love it for. I'd love it to be just point scoring. You know, take away all the on-field stuff when it comes to putting players and reports for high shots and stuff like that. Yeah. Because, oh, then it puts a lot more onus on the referees to be better in that regard. Um, I think you know the amount, and, and this isn't a shot. But I think this is you know just the way the game has evolved. But, you know, I think we miss a lot of that high stuff. Um, that then comes back later and the bunker will put on report and stuff like that. And I think that's just because we have a bit of a reliance um, on the bunker. Um, and the same, I think it's the same with the decision-making of, of the referees as well. You know, I, mean, I think because they know they've got that backup there, it can take away... Because I, I, I remember we, we had a video ref when I refereed. It wasn't the bunker, but it was a similar thing. But I remember I used to love you know, making a really good decision, giving the try, and then watching on the big screen and seeing that you're right. It gave you that confidence and you, know, you puff your chest out a little bit and, you know... Yeah. So I think we, we lose a little bit of that. I, you know, I think we overuse it a bit. Um, but um, the minute you don't use it and something happens, you get burnt, and then all of a sudden you're, in a, you know, you're on the front and back pages of the paper. So um, if the broadcasters are going to have super slow-mo cameras and you know, nine-camera angles, um, we're setting referees up to fail if we don't have the ability to be able to you know, use it the way we use it. 
Can you give us an example of what the bunker is saying in a referee's ear mid-play? Like, are they talking to you mid-play? Not at all. Okay. The bunker does not talk to the referee um, unless the referees ask for it, like in a try situation or a captain's challenge. It's the only time the bunker will talk to the referee directly in the game. Right. The, um, it's very much a perception that people can get the bunker referees from there. They don't talk to the referees at all unless yeah. the referees unless call they for ask for it. it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing too is, and you mentioned it, the super slow-mo, as technology gets better and better. You know, obviously, everyone's TVs are getting better. They're getting clearer. We're going to pick more and more things up. I do like the little tinker with the rules this year, how we're being a little bit more flexible with um, with control as we ground the ball. It's going back to more, you know, it feels like a try. It's a try. We're not picking up every tiny little um, shift in the footy as we're grounding it, things like that. So I do think that's a good thing. A little bit more common sense is being used. Oh, 100%. So I'm fortunate enough that I coach referees at the lower levels, so at pathway levels. Um, and I talk to them a lot about the pub test. Right? If you're sitting yeah. in the pub watching that, what does it look like? Someone who's been watching rugby league for 30 years, does that look like it should be a try? Does it look like it shouldn't be? Because um, we've only got one camera angle. We don't have super slow-mos at those levels. Yep. So it's much easier to be able to coach that into the referees. And hopefully that when they get to the higher levels, we don't coach it out of them. But um, So that's, yeah, I, I really... Uh, you know, I like the direction they're going with that stuff. Yeah, no. you know what a try looks like and what it doesn't. It look does, like, right? mate. It does, and the things that I always say to my young bloke: like he may he may ref another two games in his life. He might ref two hundred more games in his life. But the thing I always explain to him before he goes and refs: so just make sure, make sure, mate, the kids understand exactly why you've made a decision. Explain what the decision is, and think about what you like when you're playing. So if yeah. you like the ref to explain to you exactly why something's happened. Do that in return. Just try and make it clear. Explain to them why you've made a decision. And nine times out of ten, you're not going to find any issues at all. Yeah, generally. Generally. Gen- generally. I talk to young referees about being wrong confidently. Yeah, that's right. Mate. <laughs> and, and that's sort of, you know, one of my biggest <laughs> concerns as a, as a dad is, like, I, I drop him off to, to some clubs and, you know, on a Sunday morning and you know there's not going to be a concern at all. I can go and get a coffee and yeah. breakfast and come back two hours later and pick him up and everything's sweet. And then there's some places you drop him off and you think, oh, I'm going to have to stay here and, and be on the sideline the whole time just to make sure you know, I'm there if, if something escalates. And it, it's sad that we've got to worry about that because you know it's a reality and oh, people play for sheep stations even at under 7, 8, 9, 10 level. So yeah, it's just something that you know, I, I don't think everyone fully respects what a referee goes through. Oh, and I, yeah, and you know, I talk about that a, a, a lot, that I think adults are on kids' sport. <laughs> Take the adults away from kids' sport, yeah. and it's the best thing in the world, right? Um, and I, I see it a lot, too. I go to a lot of you know park football um, these days and, and watch young referees, and um, it's amazing how many times I've got to sort of saddle up next to somebody and just say, you know, you're speaking to a 15- or a 14-year-old kid there. Who's refereeing like, oh, 10-year-olds. Okay, that's a 13-year-old you know, you're yelling at there. Um, would you, you know, your kids, you're, you know, you're, would you yell at your kids like that if they dropped the ball or something like that? And I said, and you don't even know if you're right or wrong. You know what I mean? I have to bite my tongue a lot. A lot of people, when you sort of put them, give them a bit of perspective, they sort of, you know, they, they set up. But Most some people. still carry, some, want yeah, to carry some, on. Some. I've got to bite my tongue sometimes and walk away before I get myself in too much trouble. But, yeah, it, it's, it's shocking what, what some of our young referees have to put up with. Um and I'm surprised that we still get them. You know, I'm surprised that we still have young kids out there refereeing. When I look back at some, I don't know how I did it. Yeah, and not got myself in trouble. <laughs> oh yeah, man, it's it's very unforgiving. So look, one of the things 
that I wanted to talk to you about is just how the game's evolved. Um, so what was the, the first season that you started refereeing at the NRL level? What, what year would that so have been? 2002, I ran a touchline. Yep. Uh, 2004, I refereed. Okay, so you've, you've really seen a big evolution in professionalism, how far players have come. Like, in my opinion, it's never been faster, fitter, stronger, more physical, um, the skill level's elite. You know, you look at the way... Um, all the halfbacks in the comp play, well, their skill level isn't too dissimilar to, to guys like Andrew Johns was back 20 years ago. And and he's an immortal. He, he's probably the best player, definitely the best halfback ever. So you, you see that progression and how things evolve. Over the last few years when COVID hit, we've had a change. We went one referee, two referees, back to one. Then we had the six to go. First question is, What's your take on where the state of the game is at the moment in regards to the quality? And, and secondly, do you like the, the way that things are now? We've tinkered with the six to go. We've got it to a point where I think it's great. But again, I just wanted to see what your take on it is. Yeah, I love the game. Um, I, love, you know, I watch a lot of footy and I love where the game's at. I think there's, there's, there's little tweaks here and there that I, you know, I, I'd like or... There's things in it that I, you know, don't agree with, but that's just life, right? That's anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love where the game's at. I love the skill level of our players. Um, you know, yeah, uh, I played a bit of rugby and I, I watched a bit of rugby when I was a kid, and you watch some of the things that they, you know, really put out there as great skill in that game. It's got nothing on, you know. Yeah. I could go down to the under seventeen junior rep game and see that skill level. You know, the, the skill level all the way down um, is amazing. I'm watching some of our kids. Well, actually, this morning I was just at an emerging, uh, what do you call it, affiliated states championship. So you've got uh, Western Australia and Northern Territory and Victoria playing each other yeah. under 17s and open ages. And even there, where these aren't rugby league um, places, the, the skill level was, was it's just, awesome. It's come so far. So, yeah, yeah, I really, I really like where the game's gotten to. Um, but the second part of it with the, the six moors and, and the thing, I think the game would be even better if we still had two refs. I think the, the speed and the pressure on the referees at the moment um, is, is way too much. Uh, we, we expect too much out of our referees. And, I, you know, this, people might say, well, I'm biased, yeah. but uh, our NRL referees are the best, refer- best officials in world sport. Uh, like when you break down what they do, how they do it, um, you know, heart rates, distances covered on the field, having to judge, moving distance, it's insane. Um, I've done research on it. I do a, a bit of lecturing at a uni around some stuff, and I've done research on officials in world sport and, and all stuff, and our data and all that is right up there. Um, we just It's just amazing how much we expect perfection out of our officials That's in our right. sport for some reason. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of the six more. I just think it's easily manipulated. Um, and it puts a lot of pressure on referees as yeah. well. Um, I, I liked it, the tweaks that we've had with it, though. I think that was an improvement on what we had. Yeah, it made a difference, uh, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, um, yeah, yeah. It, it's how it was in the past. Penrith, Penrith and this is no disrespect to Penrith, but they won a comp off really pushing the limits on tackle one yeah. coming out of yardage. Oh, and they did it to perfection. They that, did it. To, they were so good at it. That first they six care. months. They just line speed. If they gave away one on tackle one down there, it didn't matter. That grand final when they beat South, South couldn't get outside their own 40. Yeah. They just choked them, and they used the rules to their advantage. Oh, so true, um, mate. I think that first six months, as soon as it, it was implemented, it was just chaos. Like It really put a few teams under the pump, and it was really it was really tough on a couple of clubs because the change just happened so immediately. They didn't have a chance to adjust. 
um, the squads that they had, the way that they were playing, the way that they trained, and it just threw... again, the, the squads. You had you had teams who had forwards to play a certain style and right. the whole game changed. Yeah, and it took them two years to you know Readjust. change their sport up. Yeah. Some clubs still have some clubs still haven't recovered from it. Hundred percent, mate. I, I, I agree. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's really um, really interesting, and you know. Just touching back on on a couple of other things that you did mention, and you said around the the two refs because of the amount of decisions. Look, I can only guess that there'd be thousands of individual decisions that have to be made during an eighty minute game of footy, and we jump up and down when a poor bloke makes two mistakes. You know, it's it, it's quite unfair at times, and and I think you're right. More credit needs to be given to to the officials because they're their fitness levels must be phenomenal to be able to keep up with play and be able to get more than 90, 95% of the decisions they make right. Yeah, so you're running that in an NRL game, depending on the type of game, you're running between 10 and 12 Ks yep. over an intermediate period at you know heart rate sort of right up there. You're talking the whole time. You're making high-level decisions. Based on more, yeah. So you look at a lot of sports, and they their decisions are based on matter of fact. Like, so you look at the NFL. Did they make this distance? Was the foot out? Did they get yeah. two feet down? It's all matter of fact. There's not a lot of grey area, um, and a lot of other sports are the same. Where ours is like, okay, is the referee back ten meters? Are the players back ten meters? Are they moving at the right time? Whilst you're dealing with that, you've also got to deal with so potentially in a ruck for so every tackle. Not that this happens. But there's potential to be over 300 decisions in each play the ball. Yeah, it's it's and crazy. 65 of them in a game generally, around that, around 360 um, play the balls in a game. It's getting a little bit more now with more volume play and the tweak of the rules. Um, so it, 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 yeah, it, we should be really re- like and like I said, I know I'm biased because I was in there for so long and I've done it for so long. But we really should be applauding our officials instead of trying to tear them down all the time. On and, and you know. I blame the, the way the media look for um, some drama because they've got to create clickbait on all their socials. They've got all these TV shows to fill throughout the week. You've got all these radio shows. Yep. Everyone's and got a podcast now. So everyone's right. got to have something to talk about when there's nothing else to talk about. And they so don't the, always uh, the let's like, hey, just have a shot at the officials because they got this call wrong. But let's not talk about the 37 others in that game that were oh, outstanding yeah, decisions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is generally what happens. For every one you get wrong, you have 35 other really good ones in a game. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. It's funny. We have three beers on the couch, been watching the game, and, go, and at the end, in the 75th minute, we go, oh, that could go either way. This poor bloke who's won, yeah. run 12Ks needs to make a decision. There's not too many on the professional darts world tour looking like they have That's a good point. babysitting on the old LinkedIn bio. <laughs> They're the least trustworthy athletes of all Absolutely. time. Athletes in inverted <laughs> commas. I remember Phil Taylor Power. back when they used to be able to drink. And he would drink while he was playing, and they were just on the cusp of trying to get rid of booze in the sport. He said, no, nah, you can't get rid of it. I use it for balance so that I can throw the darts. <laughs> they go, well, couldn't you just hold a book? He goes, mate, I can't drink 12 books while I'm playing darts. <laughs> for more nonsensical ramblings loosely based on sport, tune into Mint Sports maybe daily every week. Maybe. Hey, uh, Badge, I just want to ask you about post-ref career. You've been involved in a couple of clubs. Uh, what's your What's been your role at those clubs? Yeah, so I've been pretty fortunate. Um, virtually since I retired, virtually the next day I got a phone call from Freddie, uh, Brad Fittler, New South Wales. Um, and so I started doing some stuff with our origin team, so both men's and women's. 
So with that, sort of a bit of a consultant, a referee consultant. So at, at the origin level, it was more just um, being around and um, working on outside backs and what they can and can't do when the ball's in the air and stuff like that. Um, working with the captains on you know how to approach referees and the best way to approach and, and stuff like that. And then game day, sort of got sports ears and listening in, so sort of get an understanding of what the referees... When the referee's talking to players, okay, well, we need to get a message out to so-and-so because the referee's had enough. You know, the next time we talk to that player, we're going to get a penalty. So we need to make sure that, you know, he pulls his head in. Um, that was at the origin level. I went to, I was at the West Tigers for two years, and that was, um, had a bit of a connection. So Michael Maguire, uh, when he left South, had a year off and came and worked with, with, the, with us, with the rest for a year. So he was just in there as a bit of a consultant and, and just, you know, with a bit of a footy head for us to pick, and I picked his brain a fair bit. Like I said, I'm a footy nerd. So I sort of had a fair bit to do with Madge when he was in there. And then same thing, I remember being at a game, my last and my retirement was announced and I was on the touchline at Brookvale where the Tigers were playing Manly. So he just grabbed me after the game and just said, look, what are you doing next year? He said, I don't know what, but I want to find a role for you with us at the Tigers if you want to come across. Um, so we sort of sat on that for a bit and then you know, I messaged him in the preseason and said, look, I'm coming out of the chat and we'll see what we can do. So my role there was virtually... A bit of an education role, same thing. I worked a fair bit with our outside backs on how they could use the rules for their advantages. Um, I worked a little bit with the coaching staff to give them an understanding of what the referee's mindset. Um, and, yeah, just referee scrimmages of training. So they got like a, a feel of what a game, you know, a, 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 instead of just having one of their staff members referees and stuff at the training, I did it so we could do it to the same standards that they'd get on the weekend and stuff like that. Um, and then this past season I've been at South. Um, which is a similar role. I work with the players a bit here and there. Um, work with a couple of individual players who um, had a, a poor perception from referees, whether it be their work on 10 metres or the way they approached them and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, work with, with there's probably four or five of those fellows at South that I work with. Um, and, yeah, just being around and, and there for any questions, you know, if players wanted to... Um, if they just wanted to know anything, they weren't sure about anything, I was you know, give me a call. And then I did a little bit of video work as well, so I'd go through some of the stuff around. Because yeah, every club tries to use the rules to their best advantage. And if we weren't getting what we thought we deserved, I'd sort of cut some clips and send them off to the rest and say, we're doing this, why aren't we being rewarded here and there? So um, there's a little bit that goes into it. And for me, it was really good to see it from the other side. Because it's given me... I, I wish I had been able to do something like this at the beginning of my refereeing career, um, to get the understanding of what the coaches... Because a lot of things we're doing refereeing, we think we're doing it for the right reasons and it's for the best of, you know, for, for both teams on the field. And then you get in, you know, inside the club and what we were doing is actually the opposite of what the clubs would want. So um, it was a really, it's been a really good education process for me. It's, it's no secret the decline that South had over the course of the year. Uh, Seems and I have analysed it from a pure stats point of view, and we've had Andrew on from the Rugby League Eye Test, who's fantastic, and he broke down some stuff as well about South. Was there anything from an officiating point of view that you saw that was really costing the team? Uh, not really. I, I think, yeah, a couple of times we were poor um, in, when we were defending teams that coming out of the yardage where we had a couple of players who just give away a really soft penalty, like a line speed penalty or something. They would just take all... Like, so we'd build a lot of pressure and, and, and work to, you know, get in that grind and, and, and sort of start to win the field position battle. And then all of a sudden give away a really soft penalty and they, you know, kick the touch and then all of a sudden we're going to, you know, attack and kick. So we found a couple of games, you know, we, we, 
we were pretty poor in that aspect. Um, but yeah, that's probably the only thing. I think early in the season we built up a really good rapport with the referees and we worked really good to be clean. Um, and that was our thing. Our thing was being clean, no penalties. Uh, we weren't going out there to try and, you know, um, rule up the system or anything like that. We're just trying to be really clean and, and win it off the back of some real good contact in defence. But yeah, we let ourselves down a couple of times there. Hey, Gavin, we really appreciate your time today. Uh, it's been such a great insight for us here. Uh, can we just finish with what's the best game you've been involved with? Uh, the best game? It's funny. People ask me about games and that. Not, I don't have a lot. Maybe it's because I'm old now. I don't have a lot of great memories around games. I have more great memories around off the field and stuff like that. But yeah. I did, there was a couple of the debut up in Brisbane. Um, it was Brisbane and South um, at Suncorp. So Suncorp State is my favourite ground. Um, and to have my debut there was, was pretty special. Um, and it was a pretty, uh, pretty good Broncos team as well. And, and the South team, I had a couple of mates actually playing in the South team at the time. Um, I'm a South junior and I played all my junior footy at South. Um, so, yeah, there was a connection with a couple of players there, which, which made it pretty cool. So that's always special because you work so hard to, you know, to achieve something and then when you get it. Um, I was probably not a bad time to mention as well. So in 2007, I was fortunate enough to spend the week with the Prime Minister 13 and go across to Papua New Guinea. Oh, that would have been, re- yeah, that, unreal. That was insane. That's yeah. one of the best rugby league experiences I've had. To spend the, so we went up to um, Cairns for three days and did some training and stuff there. So I got to actually play a bit of footy with, you know, on, on the coaching staff. So we had Brad Settler and Mel Meninga, and, you know, and so we'll playing a bit of footy against the, the Prime Minister's side to get them ready. So that was pretty cool to be able to do. a great experience. And getting kitted out with all the Aussie gear and all that. Like, so as a referee, you tool with the team, so you get, you're part of the team. So as a, as a kid growing up and, you know, would have loved to play one first grade game, to be able to sort of do that and be part of an Australian selected team was, was, was pretty cool. Um, and I also remember a semi-final I did at Suncorp, uh, Broncos and Cowboys. I can't even remember what year it was. But it was just a cracking of a game. It was just one of the best games I've been involved in. Was it one of their run of games where it was, there was a point in it or it went to... Yeah. yeah. It might have even been the one that they moved to Brisbane. It was meant to be in Townsville and they moved it down yeah, to Brisbane for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it was just a cracker. I just remember coming off the game and thinking that was so much fun. Yeah. They just moved. <laughs> I think I ran 13 and a half k's in that game as well. Like, wow. It was just so fast and in that run when both sides were thereabouts every year. So... Yeah, that was pretty cool. A full house at Suncorp. Great stuff. Badge, we can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you so much. It's been really generous of you. Hopefully we can do it again sometime. Nah, no problem at all. Absolute pleasure. This has been the 60 Podcast, and that is full time.